Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good. Uh, I actually hurt myself a little bit. My lower back is hurt. I heard it like running. I went, I went running like three days in a row and now my back is super sore. But outside of that, you know, good, healthy, can't complain. That's funny. I'm limping because I got into a bike accident today on my way to my dad's. So we are both injured. Dude, your dad lives far away from you. That's a long ass ride. Yeah, 15 miles. It's not too bad. It takes me about 45 minutes. Okay, I guess. Plus, I, I, I have I my like... I have my head down, and I'm like, you know, pushing myself all the way there. Um, what happened on this particular incident was I was going through University of Washington area, so pretty pretty densely populated as far as all things goes, like matching pre-corona level of density. So I'm like cruising through, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's a big trail, right? So like people can go outside and walk and not necessarily be uh, anti-quarantine. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm passing a guy on a left so I could go through and uh, that guy decides to take a left without signaling. Like if, if you're a biker, you know that there are hand signals and you, you signal. Actually, common sense says you signal. And so this guy takes a left right into me uh, without signaling. So I glance off of him and then he, that, glance pushes me into a full frontal a collision with a guy on one of those uh, uber uh, metal like electric bikes come to a full stop and so the uh, tire on my bicycle is all fucked up so and now, now my leg hurts real bad how do you get to your dad's um his girlfriend uh, picked me up because she was also on the way there so convenient okay well sorry to hear that man and fuck that guy yeah fuck that guy yeah. He said, he said, I'm sorry. And I'm like, it's all good. Like now, now we're here now. So, you know, what else are you going to do? So then he just biked off afterwards. Oh, well, <laughs> I like how with this whole coronavirus and economic shutdown thing, it's like, you know, the government's, the government's like, Oh, we're sorry for fucking all this shit up, but <laughs> Hey, it's okay. We're here now. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. What are we going to do? I think uh, I keep hearing this echoed in different if different uh, places. I think uh, Nathan from the Breakdown podcast uh, e echoes this the most. Nathaniel, Nathaniel, yeah. Uh, no one is coming out of coronavirus with a more positive opinion with authorities and governments and you know the powers that be. Like everybody is now. I mean, I think big government and big organization is now put into question. Like the WHO fucked up, the government fucked up, all all governments fucked up, really. China fucked up. Yeah, China fucked up. But then they're also like successful now. Like what's up with that? Do you think they're just like falsifying their numbers of who's getting sick out of China? Or do you think it's actually as like plateaued as they say it is? I don't believe China. And a lot of people I respect are saying, don't believe the Chinese and what history the Chinese have of not lying and covering things up. I mean, even in the short term future. But that's also like, I, I, I'm with you. Why would you ever trust China? But like, it's not like you can mask these things, right? Like, is there just this whole entire continent worth of people that coronavirus got out and, and infected the whole continent and now everything's fine because China says it is and we actually don't have any signs of anything otherwise? Like, it would be, it's weird that we don't know, we don't have any evidence to, to you know, claim that China's lying. I'm not an expert here, so I just don't want to talk out too much about it, but... Mm -hmm. I would say that, you know, the Chinese are hiding internment camps right now and concentration camps of, uh, of Uyghurs. So I don't, I just don't think that the CCP is uh, an organization that I would uh, trust out of yeah. an assumption. No, I, I'm, I totally agree there. Plus, they, they are the shining example of what maximal uh, stripping of rights uh, can happen in this way. I don't think we will, the USA will ever get to a point where China is now, but they are at least providing an example of what, what is the worst, worst possible scenario when it comes to invasion of privacy and invasion of rights. You guys know who it is. Let's talk about our first sponsor, eToro. eToro, thank you so much for supporting the show for so long. You guys, eToro is the best one-stop shop for all things cryptocurrencies. 
You can go stack your sats there, take your cryptocurrency off and put it in your hardware wallet. You can copy trade, which means that you pretty much put your money down on an active trader strategy and whatever they trade, you do. Uh, and then you can index invest as well. Uh, so eToro is a one-stop shop where you can get access to the widest variety of different trading strategies. Uh, and honestly, they have fantastic spreads and you know just good prices overall. So highly recommend... Highly recommend eToro as uh, a fantastic place to get your Bitcoin. Check out eToro at b.tc backslash eToro POV. Make sure to use that link so they know we sent you there. If you are building a DeFi app on Ethereum that is managing users' funds or taking custodianship of users' funds or managing other people's assets, then you need to get that app audited by Quantstamp. Quantstamp is the premier smart contract auditing firm there is in the Ethereum ecosystem with an extensive list of past customers such as MakerDAO, Chainlink, Sableer, Together, RDAI, the list goes on. Quantstamp has the most extensive history working in DeFi and making sure that your crypto assets are safe. If you have put your Ether or your DAI inside of the DeFi ecosystem on Ethereum, then it's likely that you trusted Quantstamp to secure your assets. Check them out at quantstamp.com. Last but not least, Unchained Capital. You guys, if you're using Bitcoin, the safest way to store your Bitcoin and custody yourself is using multi-sig. Unchained Capital is the easiest way to access multi-sig with the most popular hardware wallets. Um, I set up my Unchained Capital account and use it every single day. And guess what? When Bitcoin moons, and you want to access some of that liquidity from your Bitcoin gains, you can leverage Unchained Capital to get a loan on your Bitcoin. And the best thing about Unchained is that they never loan out your Bitcoin. It's never rehypothecated. It always remains locked down on the blockchain in a multi-sig vault, and you control one of those keys in the case of a loan. In the case of a vault, you control two keys. But ultimately, uh, Unchained Capital, the most Bitcoin-friendly institution out there again creating bitcoin first products and bitcoin first research check them out at unchained-capital.com so i'd actually like to get your take on this i think that the fact that coronavirus kind of started in china and everyone got to witness how china dealt with it was actually super super negative because the like they're they're kind of like the initial example of what to do and everyone kind of based their reaction on how to best like copy what the chinese did and they're still kind of doing it um so i'm just kind of curious like is quarantine and the kind of just actions taken by governments like is that the only option or is that just what they're doing because the chinese did it first do you get what i'm saying not exactly you also broke up a little bit there so i missed you coronavirus happened in china first in wuhan you know, the Chinese government, they, you know, quarantine people, they, uh, they, they, they did a whole bunch of different like actions, they started surveilling people, they started doing a lot of different things to try to, in the name of fighting it. And mm -hmm. I think that a lot of other governments, like saw how the Chinese responded, and then they kind of just emulated them. So I'm just kind of curious, like, how much like how much did the Chinese reaction actually inspire other like how other countries reacted as well and is like would like let's say if coronavirus happened in the u.s would our initial reaction to start trying to fight it like been exact exactly the same thing that the chinese did or would have would it have been different you're asking because it started in china and china set this president precedent of quarantining that that impacted the decisions of all the following this precedent countries. of like everything that they did i think right. that they did stimulus and a lot of things too yeah i don't know i'm skeptical of that i think the the quarantine like because asia asia already had a culture a an inf i don't even know what to call this but an influenza culture right where you know, people wear masks all the time and that's socially acceptable and and you know generally being sanitary when it comes to diseases like asia already has that culture so i already think that they kind of have in their um their reactions or their their you know mental models of how to how to live already has something like uh dealing with viruses like this built in where we do not um i mean quarantining well, early 2000s with sars right yeah I think that's exactly where it comes from. I think that is exactly where it comes from. 
we don't have that in America, but like at the end of the day, there's no replacement for quarantine. There's no replacement for washing hands. There's no replacement for, you know, cutting down on big events and, and things of that nature. Uh, I, I think it was, I think it would be the same. Um, what I think is what is the remaining question is like, it's obvious that that centralized authoritarian control is beneficial when it comes to fighting the virus is it, but is that and it, where does that leave america next like what are america's next steps and are we going down that route of justifying privacy invasions like after the last crisis after 911 like there was a huge step that america took into invading privacy and invading rights and we all we all just handed over our rights right over to the government right like now we all get our balls checked by TSA every time we go through uh, security. Uh, uh, that's a hyperbole, but um, you get my point. Well, like what, what happens now as a result of coronavirus? Like what rights are we giving up, giving up now? Have you heard of Earn It? I've not. The Earn It Act? It's uh, an attempt to make it extremely difficult to implement encryption in your product. Oh yeah. Um, and the reason why the, the, like essentially they're not, they're not saying, Hey, if you're a company, you can't have an encryption, but they're saying that if you're a company that implements encryption in your product, then you are liable for how people use it. Mm. Um, so that's not a coronavirus thing, right? I mean, it has to do with, well, the reason why is that they want to be able to say access everything on your phone right they want like one reason one one of the things that's like getting in the way from doing a wechat style um tracking is that a lot of people are using whatsapp and whatsapp has basic encryption um right. just built in so i mean this is this is like uh this is something that's standing in their way of doing what they want and they're doing but it in what? the name of safety and all this kind of stuff and the name of you know pr you know protecting citizens from crime and preventing terrorism and uh, enabling the government to, again, you know, track for all the, you know, they're, they're essentially opening the door to do all this stuff. But it has nothing to do with Corona, right? It's just a coincidence that this bill was ready to go through and then coronavirus happened and now everyone's distracted. So that now this bill is being pushed through, right? Like this isn't happening as a result of Corona. I mean, it was introduced on March 5th. That's kind I mean, of in the heat it, of Corona. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but like it could, takes a while to write bills. Sure, yeah. I mean, I'm sure they were planning on it, but you know, <laughs> they didn't hesitate to be like, "Hey, you know, this is still mm -hmm. urgent enough to push forward right now." It, yeah. was, it wasn't like other things took priority. Like, oh no, we should still do this. Think about mm. what was happening on March 5th, like in your life, like right. shit was falling apart. Yeah, um, you're like, you know what? Let's. Take so you're away thinking that they had this in their back pocket, and they say like, okay, at the next of next opportunity when everyone's distracted, let's like jam this bill through as fast as we can. That's what you're, you're thinking is happening. I'm not even willing to say that, but I'm just saying like they're still pushing it through, and like the, the march against freedom. Yeah, the march against yeah. freedom continues. Yeah, yeah. But this isn't again. This isn't like coronavirus. Whatever. If this bill does go through, and the encryption is standards are changed. Well. For I mean, when it comes it, to centralized control over fighting a virus, like they can already do that with whatever they have available today. Like they can already track us and our movements and the other people that we engage with already. Like they already have that ability with our devices today. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. I mean, well, Apple and Google are implicit in, in enabling this, just like mm -hmm. WeChat and Alipay are implicit in China. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're not that far away. Yeah. So how's that? It's our software, right? Yeah, I guess so. Do we want to talk about how that relates to crypto? I don't I even mean, know if it does or not. Free and open source software. It's something that is not corrupted and it has choice. Hopefully not backdoored, but I mean, that's why it's open source. So you can at least take a look and see mm -hmm. if it is. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that th this gets talked about a lot in uh, in the sovereign individual is this transition. Like, and they identify this transitionary period where the internet is here, but kind of legacy stuff is still around. And, um, you know, uh, what's it called? Proprietary uh, databases for money and all this other stuff that we still kind of lean on um, that are going to hopefully get obsoleted by open source software. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, generally speaking, I'm a big fan of, of, of 
the sovereign individual. I know Vitalik kind of had some quips about it on a recent thread that he did. Mm -hmm. Uh, But ultimately, I mean, I think that Vitalik's quips were a little shallow and like he was getting stuck up on details when the direction was totally right. Logic of violence is different. Individuals are getting more rights, moving towards an internet forward economy. And they even talked about cryptocurrencies, even if they thought it was Mm going to be gold backed. I mean, that's pretty damn good. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what his expectations were. It's like, okay, shit, they got gold backed wrong instead of, you know, proof Mm -hmm. of work and proof of stake ledgers. Mm -hmm. Okay. Man, you guys suck. (laughs) Had no vision. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, sure, I'm sure there's a bunch of things that Vitalik does resonate with that he didn't mention. Uh, I, I think he just shortlisted his list of quibbles. Um, I, I think They're quibbles. What, what I think that what this coronavirus is doing is definitely illustrating uh, what parts or really making it really salient what parts of the sovereign individual are right today. Um, like the, some of these things won't ever strictly be proven, like the fall of the United States mimicking the fall of rome over time like we don't really ever know that or and it won't ever even matter but things like remote work and distributed companies and distributed organizations um definitely is is happening right now and we were watching this happen right like people are talking about vr conferences in crypto right now it just blew up like yeah, i mean i want to talk to hunter and michael again uh, our friends and david's mm-hmm. roommate they're in uh their vr entrepreneurs they're in a vr startup right it's a very vr the vr industry and the crypto industry are in this same spot right now where both these two industries are kind of bullish right now like money printer go burr is basically saying you know we're all bullish crypto like that's what that means and also vr everyone's adopting vr right now as an industry moving into vr faster some of the coolest vr games have just come out Companies like like Mazari um, are buying their people headsets so they can have all team hands meetings in VR. Like everyone, like everyone assumes that this is going to be bullish for for VR. Except at the same time, while these two industries fundamentals are strong, both of these industries depend on VC money to live, and VC money at least probably has totally dried up for as far as I know. I'm assuming that VC funds are not giving out money anytime soon. I don't know this. I haven't heard anything. I don't have privileged information, but I'm just guessing that v- there is no VC money right now. I, I think an assumption. I think that funds definitely have dried up a little bit, but I wouldn't say that it's a hard stop. People are in cash now too. A lot of people got out of the stock market. So that's something to consider too, is like now people, like I have more cash right now than I ha- I've had in a long time. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that people will still invest in like opportunities. I think people are bargain shopping right now, especially if they have the luxury of being in cash. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, we'll see that's how, the... how shitty things get though. <laughs> on the, I was on the uh, Into the Ether live stream and, and I echoed that sentiment that, you know, BC cryptos is not impacted because we're so distributed, but we are impacted because we're BC funding. And that's what Anthony Cesano said. He said that, you know, people are still hunting for bargains. So the bargains are still out there. So that, that's still real. Uh, we'll, we'll see how much this impacts us. If, if at the end of the day, coronavirus is... The, the economics of funding of these you know startup companies is not impacted then this is super bullish for crypto if, if we can keep on chugging while everything else is on pause so i don't necessarily agree that crypto is vc funded i think like a lot of the altcoin space is vc funded yeah, ethereum and... versus bitcoin is much more vc funded than bitcoin is yeah you're right well, no even even ethereum is not as vc funded as like vc coins <laughs> Like that, that's really the, v, that's like the, or any startup chain that's trying to do something like yes. that. I think that is way more impacted by VCs. Yeah. I think Ether has a, like a funding ecosystem and a community and like has a lot more going for it outside of just strictly VCs, you know, throwing money at it. And then Wait, Bitcoin. We need to distill, we need to distill something between, because I'm more talking about the Ethereum ecosystem, like companies like like mine, like Realty versus L1 development. L1 development of Ethereum, I don't think is significantly impacted at all. I mean, it's going to be a hard time for all companies. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't like, yeah. But I, when that's not, that's not Ethereum. That's not Bitcoin. Yeah. I think that those things are, are more nebulous and. Right. Yes, they could take hits. The community could take hits. Businesses could take hits. Um, but ultimately, there's something deeper that 
you know, is going to motivate those ecosystems. Right. And at the end of the day, uh, the EF will 100% sell all of their ether in order to fund ETH2 development. So they, they've been in cash since the beginning. They, they also have a supply of cash. I mean, what, quote unquote, they've had, the, if you consider ether and Bitcoin to be cash, then they, that's all they have is a cash balance. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, it's whatever, whatever the amount of value that ether is, is being sold by the EF to fund ETH2. That is happening. Uh, I, I don't, yeah, you, you're right. Like there, there, there's no L1 issues here. It's really just companies that have started in crypto in the last one to two years, plus the ones that are seeking funding in the short term. I think that this makes the ecosystem more, uh, actually more anti-fragile because yeah. it forces the people that remain in the ecosystem, people, companies, projects to either bootstrap better not take VC funding or become profitable immediately. Um, and it really shakes out anything that is, you know, not working. I mean, yeah, and you're totally right, but that's also just true for the whole entire world right now. Like the, the whole entire world is getting stripped. Like we are shaving the, shaving the fluff off the fat of the world. Kind of, but also... I think governments are trying to interrupt that process too. Like the world mm -hmm. is trying, like the world cannot be this leveraged. Like how right. is it that 30% of all Americans became unemployed within two weeks of everyone stopped <laughs> working? Like that just shows well, how no, that's projection based though, right? You know, I, I know of a lot of people that have been laid off already at very well-funded companies. Right, because because the companies are projecting to not make any money. It's, I don't think it's necessary. Well, they're not making money right now. A lot of them are taking hits. Right, and so like they the companies like can still have a significant cash balance and still want to and still lay everyone off. I think that's I think that's right. Sure, I mean, but how? What percentage of companies are actually in that position? Uh. I mean, even if companies did have a cash balance, they would still lay people off. Like that cash balance isn't for their employees, right? But why don't their employees have any cash balance either? Who says they don't? I mean, statistics say they don't. Right. Uh, no, you're totally right. But just being laid off doesn't mean, mean that the employee itself doesn't have a cash balance. I'm saying there is problem systemically that no one has right. cash balances right yeah no that's because so i'm pretty sure most companies don't have cash balances and the and the comp and the uh the employees, the employees don't have cash balances right like, you're just it, talking it, about it the fragility is, of our system yeah i mean and the system needs to deleverage. like all those people need to go out of business and pay but the government is uh insistent on that and peter mccormick has been sounding the alarm saying like hey like what else what other choice do they have like they like i want them to do this, this is going to relieve pain I know it's going to relieve pain for me to get, you know, at least a little bit of helicopter money. I know it's going to relieve mm -hmm. pain for a lot of businesses that are fucked, can't pay rent. Um, but like, how did we get to this position is, is, is a long road. Yeah. Um, the, the, the one thing about the $1,200 that we're all getting in checks in the mail is like, it's nice because we're all getting checks. It's not nice because it's only one time and it's not going to do much. It's not not nice because it's all going to our fucking landlords. It's all going to the landlords. Everyone's just going to pay rent with it. And it's not actually going to do anything for the economy. It's just going to prevent evictions. Like the, the $1,200 check is just a check to bail out landlords. Well, but think of it this way. Most landlords are over leveraged and right. most landlords depend on that regular check. So that way they don't right. uh, miss their payment. Yeah. Um, so the whole thing is to keep this thing afloat for just a little bit longer and kick the yeah, can keep, down the road. That's keep, all they're keep doing. Keep the leverage up. Keep the leverage yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. So like the reality is, is as soon as you can't make your payment, most likely mm -hmm. your landlord's not going to be able to make his payment. And like, again, we've talked about this. It's going to go all the way up the stack. Yeah, but how like, do you break that incentive to stop being leveraged? You break stop the money, money over time, I guess. I don't know. I mean, but even in a Bitcoin denominated world, like people are still going to, people are still going to leverage up and rent out seven properties that they only own one quarter of on Airbnb. Like Bitcoin's well, it'll be a lot more that. expensive. It'll be, it, it will be a lot more expensive. Yeah, that's true. Like, it's not like it's going to be impossible. It just will be more, it, the price will be accurate for yeah. the, the cost of doing that. And 
you know, if the reward is worth it, if society is going to reward you despite the high cost, you'll still do it. Um, but right now, the whole idea is like, when you fuck with the interest rate, you literally fuck with the allocation of capital. So something that would not, something that would not be rewarded, something that would not be prudent or profitable, you know, might be prudent or profitable if you start messing with the interest rates. Um, and that's how we got here again. Like, Hey, these, these businesses shouldn't be this leverage. They're too fragile. They're, you know, any stop of cash flow will fuck them, but no, let's bail them out. Let's, let's keep the cash flow going a little bit longer. Yeah. The thing, one of the things that I worry about is that the federal reserve or just America in general and finds out that they can actually print a lot more money than they thought that they could print before things go bad. And they start to take advantage of that. I mean, they can because there's a massive dollar shortage despite all this globally. Yeah. So the the idea is that the dollar right now the dollar is getting squeezed. Right. Everyone with their U.S. dollar denominated debt is buying dollars. So the dollar is at an all time high. Dollars is, is king, and it's only going up. And it's just, it's been going up, and it's going to go up more. And then the Fed is going to print money into that. But they're printing money. If they're printing money based off the fact that the price of the dollar is going up and because they can, that's great for now. That doesn't necessarily mean that printing money and the price of the dollar in the very short-term future, as in like six months from now, six months plus, is the same environment as current. So if we print money now, that then there isn't demand in six months. That starts to lead to inflation and perhaps significant inflation. And once you print that money, it's out there, right? Like it doesn't come back. Not, not immediately. I'm not, again, I'm not an expert, so I don't want to like speak specifically the nature of like how, you know, printing and does it go back or whatever. I mean, theoretically, QE is supposed to be unrolled by the banks repurchasing their assets, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's never happened. Now we're on QE4 and it's never happened. So um, what you said, I guess, is directly correct, but I don't actually know the reality. Um, what I think is like, what I think is like the most important thing to consider here is this is showing us like, what is the lesson? And the lesson is that liquidity is extremely powerful. Mm-hmm. Like it gives the dollar extreme staying power, despite, you know, essentially having infinity supply. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's what this Fed already said. And yet this is the power of liquidity and the power of the financial network effects. So, uh, I mean, I think that we should look at this and be optimistic for um, large cap cryptos, because if they have any ability to capture this and then have some sort of monetary policy that is truly, un- you know, unchangeable or and, and, and truly hard, then they're going to have some amazing staying power. Like, it's going to be really fucking hard to remove these assets once they're in place. Rethinking about what Bitcoin is in my head in the last week or so, and this happens every every once in a while. So I want to throw some ideas off of you and see if that if they resonate, if, if you're like, yeah, David, I thought of that like forever ago. Like that's what Bitcoiners have been saying, or if this is actually like a novel thing. Um, so I called, I, I, was texting, I was texting this to someone and I can't remember who, it doesn't matter. Uh, a Bitcoin and internet liquidity network. And so like the internet is a collection of protocols. Like there's a bunch of different data communication protocols and different parts of the internet use different data communication protocols. And now with Bitcoin, we have this other protocol. So this new protocol to get integrated into all the other protocols, like the TCP IP, like SMTP, other acronyms, et cetera. And now there's the BTC LN protocol. And this isn't what I'm, this isn't the new thing. Everyone else, all the Bitcoiners call it the BTC LN protocol for Lightning Network. Um, But what BTC is, is not necessarily or rather a asset, or it is an asset, but not in the way I'm viewing it. It's a liquidity network, as in it's this protocol on the internet that offers liquidity to you in and out of Bitcoin. And the fact that there's a, 21 million Bitcoin is totally irrelevant because if you're trying to go into from one asset into another asset, you can use Bitcoin as a liquidity network between the buyer and the seller, right? Which is what money is. But what's interesting is like, that's like what XRP was, was offering is like, it was offering this like substrate currency between banks, right? And it's supposed to be liquid. 
but where Bitcoin is doing this is it's offering liquidity, is internet-based liquidity. And for some, it's internet-based, uh, you know, digital assets or internet-based value, internet-based gold, et cetera, et cetera, all the other narratives we know. But I think other people can start viewing it as this liquid network, this liquidity network that's built into the internet. The difference yeah. here is that uh, it, money transfer protocol doesn't exactly communicate what I'm trying to communicate, or maybe it is and I'm being dense, but uh, uh, money transfer as in you're transferring money from me to you. It's like, I'll transfer you my dollars. Uh, a money transfer protocol is less of a liquidity network, but maybe it is. Well, so what I think money is a liquidity network. Like it's, the, it's, the, the liquidity network is what we consider to be money. Yeah. Okay. You're right. Yeah. So saying, saying money is also equivalent to saying liquidity. That's A equals A, right? That's apples to apples. Money is, is liquidity as a product. That's what money is. And different things can serve as money. And based on whatever feature they have or features that they have, they may do a better or worse job serving as money. Mm -hmm. But ultimately... When you buy, when you want money, when you buy money, when you earn money, you are buying the ability to transfer value through time. It is the ability mm -hmm. to store value and then transfer it through time. Input, output, right. Um, so like the fact that Bitcoin sold off to such a large degree in the coronavirus crisis, the Black, Black Thursday, I feel like is actually how you would exactly expect it to because people are trying to access their liquidity. Like Bitcoin as a store of value asset, like it's supposed to store your value up until the point of a crisis, right? Where it's supposed to save you. Like you have your value in this asset and then the crisis comes and then you redeem your value for what for toilet paper or steak or whatever. And I feel like it being sold off, you're supposed to sell it. Like that's what you're supposed to sell it for whatever you need at that point in time. Yeah, you're right. It did. It served its purpose because it was a liquid asset. Uh, mm -hmm. Asset, but at the same time, like that's why people weren't selling their houses. You know, because mm -hmm. houses are way less liquid. They weren't selling mm -hmm. their paintings. They're selling the because they were liquid assets. But Bitcoin does not have enough liquidity yet and enough market depth to act in the way that people that thought, you know, store of value thought. They thought it was mm -hmm. going to hold their value through that. But it, the reality is that the network is not big enough to do that. Right now, you know, this move, even though it was a small percentage of all total coins, um, it, it, you know, brought down the price significantly. But uh, if Bitcoin was in a, or any other asset that trying to do this was in a future state where it was much, much more liquid, then theoretically the price would not be as affected as drastically. And then people would definitely look and treat it as a true store of value. Um, from a like a, a right. actual uh, short-term monetary basis, right? Because it's only a speculative store of value, right? So the the bottom can really drop off of the buy side really, really fast because it's only a speculative store of value. And, and that's okay. So um, like literally, like for something to be a store of value, it can't be programmed in. It has to like it has to have this market and this depth of it. And that is like something that's super emergent. And that's mm -hmm. why when like people say like, oh, Bitcoin is just this meme coin. I push back and say like, no, there is literally like a network here. It is physical. It is made up of people. It is made up of a lot of complex and deep things. Like you can't just call it a meme. And if you want your other coin to also do that, it will also need to develop uh, those, you know, in those, uh, those properties over time. I was on the uh, into the ether uh, live stream. This is the second time I've talked about this in this podcast. Uh, uh, and we were it's a good live stream. Yeah, you listen to it. I listen to uh to all this stuff when you when you get onto it. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, so they were they were going through the rounds of of shitting on Bitcoin and calling it you know just a meme coin. And I'm like, you guys, come on, you can't call Bitcoin a meme coin because if you call Bitcoin a meme coin, Bitcoin and Ethereum and Ether have like 90% overlapping value propositions. Like the same memes that prop up Bitcoin's value also prop up Ether's value. So if you're calling Bitcoin a meme coin, like we're fucked. I think that you and Ryan Sean Adams are the only people that are like prominent in the ETH space that actually acknowledge that. And and Ryan knows how to trigger Bitcoiners by saying like, hey, money printer, go burr, buy ETH. <laughs> he knows exactly. <laughs> but like the reality is, is like, if you want either, like that is a big 
reason why a digital hard money would have value right. is to protect you from inflation. Right. Yeah. No. And, and I'll th you should also uh, throw uh, Anthony Cezano into that loop. Like he, he also is a non-hater of BTC. Uh, but yeah, no, like the, the Ethereum people would be amiss to remove this, the anti-Federal Reserve monetary policy argument at, from the core features of Ether. Um, we just we just deal with it in a different way. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that over time, it will be something that is talked about more just because I think it's going to just be affecting people more and more. Uh, what, money printing? Yeah. I mean, yeah. the Cantillon effect. I think the Cantillon effect is going to be even more drastic between elites and in the middle class, but it's also going to be even more drastic between America and uh, countries that don't have print access to the dollar. Right. Yeah. So like time. when we send out our Trump bucks to everyone and everyone gets their $1,200, like no one's going, everyone in America isn't going to question the supremacy of the dollar in that moment. That's not really for them. It's but for everyone else. However, that is watching Americans get a bunch of money. Not that other countries aren't also doing that. Like Europeans are doing that too. Canada is doing it even more than we are. But the difference is, is the Fed is printing money to save America and Wall Street. And at the same time, Wall Street's really big. So if, you, if you're going to save it, you do need to print a bunch of money. Like no one else has that responsibility or that burden or the leverage to be able to print money. But people are going to watch the Federal Reserve print money and be like, I don't want it to dominate my, you know, my savings in dollars anymore. I want to denominate it in something else. And that's going to work at the bottom and then work its, from the shitty currencies and then work its way up, right? If you look at first, you, there's like charts that people need to look at. First is you need to look at the US dollar chart against other fiat currencies, as well as baskets of fiat currencies. Um, and the dollar is just absolutely crushing all of those currencies. But second is, Look at your favorite crypto. I mean, obviously the large caps are the most important, Bitcoin and Ethereum, but look at them against like alt fiats, right? If the if USD is the king of fiat, then you know Euro and those other other uh, fiats are like alt fiats, um, and Bitcoin in particular, all of these alt fiats. Um, so definitely something mm -hmm. to take into account that like, yeah, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum are fighting against the dollar, but that's not the whole picture. Like a lot of people live their life on fiat and like, you know, boulevards against Bitcoin, like Bitcoin's never been down. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin's never been down against boulevards, only yeah. gone up. What so. is the, the uh, Venezuelan boulevard or the Argentine peso other than another shitty alt that has to stack up against actual real money? Like when, at the end of the day, like all the other tiny currencies of the world are like insignificant. Like I, probably the Argentine peso. Okay, let me let me go look at the market cap of the Argentine peso. One moment. I think it could be, but just to just to bring this into like a into perspective, I think Bitcoin in terms of actual energy usage is like in the top thirties of of countries, and that is highly correlated with actual market cap as well. So the amount of energy that a country burns is very tightly correlated with its uh, its GDP. So if Bitcoin were a country, it'd be in the top 30 already. Um, and Bitcoin has a very sound monetary policy and a global user base. So it's not going to take very long before Bitcoin's in the top 20, top 10. Um, and, you know, again, if any of these other mm -hmm. cryptocurrencies are going to, you know, do something special, they're going to have to do the same thing. Okay, so the Argentine peso has a market cap of $60 billion. So Bitcoin's already bigger. Yeah. Yeah. So Argentine pesos is a, officially a shitcoin. <clears throat> if it wasn't before. Definitely a shitcoin. Permission to sell. It's yeah. worse than most shitcoins. Yeah, like as soon as, as soon as all of these central banks issue their digital currencies on, on the blockchain... Uh, it's just it's just going to be there. The Argentine peso is going to be stacked up against XRP, and people are going to be like, "Haha, which one's shittier?" And no one's really going to know the answer. I think XRP has danker memes. <laughs> yeah, but the Argentine peso has a literal army behind it. That's true. Um, well, it depends on how hard the, how well the that army can meme to see how uh, how long they can <laughs> <on> themselves. <laughs> 
the world is changing. And I mean, honestly, I think the sovereign individual is definitely directionally correct. Right. Oh, yeah. That's what I wanted to talk about. Um, we, we started talking about VR, but then we, I never finished the thought. Uh, coronavirus is just accelerating the future. Like we're, it yeah. just pu- it's pulling the future forward uh, by, I don't know, perhaps a decade. If, if we had just gone, if, if things had just been fine, we wouldn't have progressed very fast. I think like global contractions are just a, a way for humans f- to be forced to like get like nut up or shut up, like produce or, 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 you know, or become homeless. One of the two things. <laughs> yeah. Well, something that Alex Fetsky brought up and he was on the podcast a long time ago, he's definitely a, uh, uh, an interesting fellow in the Bitcoin space, but he brings up a great point that the current paradigm of markets is, is just constant growth. And we see that as soon as like there's any slowdown, um, everything, you know, deleverages. Um, but he was like, like, think about just nature, like in nature, you work, and then you rest, you, you know, you have your day, and then you go to bed, like, it's natural to work and then stop working and having this break. And just having like the the change of pace with the coronavirus, like I definitely think that there's some silver linings, um, and yeah. you can even see it with the like the ecosystems uh, around the globe. Like the air in, in San Francisco is much better in general, and the, you know there's anecdotes of the dolphins coming back to uh, the rivers and or the the canals in Venice and uh, stuff like that. Uh, and I think you were posting about um, ozone effects that were positive. So uh, I mean just the the way that things are organized today is it's just misaligned yeah yeah the 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 interesting thing is like coronavirus as a force for humans to retreat is a opportunity for nature to advance right and that's really as a society as a civilization that's kind of what we need to have our best shot at, at overcoming uh, global warming without significant loss. If we have like one year of significantly reduced emissions and, and negative impact on the globe, that year could could mean a, a lot for us because things like R and D is still moving forward. I'm pretty sure. Like I don't I don't fucking know, but like Elon well, Musk still has all of his employees at Tesla factories. Like we're still learning how to become a more efficient society. Well, if anything, it actually teaches us, right? This is what mm-hmm. anti-fragility is about. It's mm-hmm. how how does volatility make something stronger? And nature is anti-fragile. And mm-hmm. that's why this volatility in uh, in human world makes nature fa- uh, stronger. It rebounds from it. And nature is extremely resilient. So it doesn't need that much time. And what yeah. if we can reorganize? And, and I guess just to stay on topic, like uh, this stuff is teaching us a lot about the nature of work. Like, you know, maybe mm. people will be traveling less. Maybe people mm. will be, you know, will be content with electrical organizing and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it is a paradigm shift and, you know, that could have green impacts for sure. Right. I think the nature of the firm is going to be significantly redefined after after the end of this, end of this. Like people are going to realize, like now more than ever, people need to realize what can be a meeting at one and what can be an email. And, and then also companies are now realizing that, hey, it turns out we don't, we didn't really need that huge office for everyone to come into. We are for most, the most part able to do, run the entire company at home. Some companies are realizing that right now. And they're probably going to look at their My rental bill. And be, yeah. Yeah. They're going to look at that, the, the office rental bill, and they're going to be like, we don't need to pay this. We could hire seven more people to help run the company for, with this rental bill. We don't need that right now. Completely agree. Yeah. So I've been seeing a lot of like pushback against like, I guess I've been seeing a lot more coronavirus deniers. I know that I think you are a lot more into this and looking at the stats and looking at the, um, the, all the testimonials from doctors and people on the front lines, like what's, what's your take and what would you say to those people? Uh, I mean, it depends on what you mean, mean by a denier. Uh, there's plenty of people that think that coronavirus is just going to blow over really quickly and it's blown way out of proportion. Um, my roommate is one of those people. He thinks that a, a decent amount of people also think that uh, there was this first wave of coronavirus because there were so many sicknesses like in December and January that swept the globe. Like I had sickness, hella people at Youth Denver had sicknesses. 
you know, my, my roommate went to Europe and, and got sick and, and my accountant at, at Realty we hired was sick in January, December. So many people were sick in January, December. And so the conspiracy theory is, is that coronavirus swept the globe and uh, a lot more people got coronavirus than what is reported. We're never, ever going to find out what's true and what's not, and we're never really going to know. Um, but there are people that think that there is going to be a, this very strong V-shaped recovery and life will continue on as normal in a very short amount of time. Maybe the nature of the world can kind of go back as normal, but I think society can never go back as normal. And I think that uh, the economy will never be what it was pre-coronavirus. Yeah. Countdown, countdown the days until you start seeing um, Instagram ads for masks fashion masks so oh yeah like two weeks three weeks it's gonna happen i think that's a positive externality uh uh-huh. that's really good for privacy mm, yeah perhaps. perhaps like uh asia has a very strong privacy culture because of you know as a side effect of the mask culture right yeah that could be down for that yeah people are gonna make some stupid ass masks <laughs> i'm gonna make a list of positive externalities from coronavirus because i actually think that there's a lot of uh, at the end of the day at the end of the day once we are through this it is nothing but green skies like once everyone it's, it's an easy thing to say but like once everyone has their jobs back like so many things are going to be so much better I mean, I think that that could take a long time. That could take a long time. Like There's a, been a lot of misallocated uh, capital, like people yeah. to the point where people got the wrong skills. Like mm. this could be generational pain mm. and we could be at the cusp, which yeah. is ba- kind of ex- awesome, but bad timing at the same time. Yeah, but okay. So but on the other side of things, like a bunch of boomers are dying. So we're not going to have to pay for their social security. Like we're not going to have to pay for their ongoing healthcare. Like the country is becoming more lightweight because of the nature of this disease and how it, it specifically targets the elderly. Well, it doesn't target the elderly, but the elderly are just more success, uh, susceptible than the average population. And they hold all the wealth. So they're going to transfer the wealth to their kids. It's super dark. It's super dark, super dark. Like the stock market crashed. Housing prices are going to come down. And meanwhile, millennials are relatively untouched and nobody needs a huge correction in the stock market more than millennials. Like they, millennials are getting saved a lot too. Their debts are going down in value. Mm-hmm. Um, they're getting forgivenesses. Like Dude. the government has already like said no interest and you can defer payment for several months. Like anything that the US government does to combat the coronavirus. And that's why I was so hopeful for regular checks it's going to be incredibly difficult for them to undo that. Right. As soon as it happens, like your assumption is that it's not going to unhappen. Yeah. What we need, the regular check threshold is such a crucial th- a threshold. Like once, once regular checks happens, whoever, if, if they get revoked, it doesn't matter because whoever is the next election is going to get, is going to be elected by whoever offers the most money. Yeah. And honestly, I think it's, I think, mo- mo- uh, Modern monetary theory is inevitable. It is just the next phase of uh, the U.S. dollar as global reserve currency. Mm-hmm. And I think that UBI is inevitable because it is just the next logical phase of the cancel on effect in money printing. Yeah. Eventually, the plebeians will demand the fruits of the money printer. Right. You know, we will say, we want that check too. Okay, you <laughs> motherfucker, if you printed it, I want some of that too. And that's what we are mm-hmm. saying. No, that's exactly um, right. That's so exactly it's just right. the logical next step. The incentives are there. They're, they're, the incentives are all in place. Park Lewis wrote a great paper. Um, it was the most recent blog on uh, Gradually Then Suddenly. And he says that Bitcoin is a rally cl- cry. And he says that uh, at some point in the Constitution, there will be the right to opt your value into something that cannot be inflated away as a right, as a human right. Um, He obviously said it much more eloquently than I have, but check that out. It's an audio as well as, uh, as a blog. Should I wrap it up? Yeah. All right, guys, that was a, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Thanks for listening. You can follow the podcast at POV crypto pod. You can follow me at trustless state, both on Twitter and on Bankless. Christian. Yep. You can find me at CK underscore snarks. I've been doing a lot more stuff with at Bitcoin magazine as well. Uh, we are putting out a weekly piece called WTF is happening with the Fed where Colin Harper and I 
make it really easy to kind of understand everything that Fed has done. Uh, and it seems like they act on a daily basis. So there's always a ton of content for us to break down. We we have summarized what has happened all the way up until this point and really broken down what is happening here with QE4. Uh, so uh, a lot of good information coming there and we barely even talk about crypto. We just talk about the Fed. I've listened to it, so I can corroborate. It's good, it's worth a listen. All right, thanks everyone. <laughs>